Hello, uh, you are watching a re-recording of a Sunday morning sermon, July 30th, 2023. We had some te technical difficulties, and so we are going to brave the technology again, re-record it, have it uploaded for uh, accessibility on our website, and so that's what you're watching right now. Uh, if you would, please open up your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I want to uh, use an opening illustration that a lot of us will be familiar with. And I thought this was on the dollar bill. I went looking on one of mine the other day. It's not on there. Uh, I was looking at a 20. Maybe it's on a 5 or a 1 or 10 or whatever. Uh, but it is on most American coins. So there's this phrase, e pluribus unum, that you can see on most uh, American coins. And it's Latin. It means out of many, one, or from many, one. It's the idea of the United States being a collection of different peoples and a collection of different states, but we all come together and form one united front, the United States of America being a single country. Well, this morning we're going to see how this idea of having one composed of many is also true of the church. The church in the scriptures is called the body of Christ, and that carries many different implications. One implication is our main point this morning, and we're going to hit some others along the way. So here's the main idea this morning. As man was made in the image of God, the church is being made in the image of Christ. So to give you a little bit of context in our passage, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is addressing roughly 10 issues with the Corinthian church. They had written a previous letter, and he's answering some questions and then just making some general observations about their church to help them to grow as a young church. So we get to chapter 12, and we are continuing the eighth topic, as I count them, spiritual gifts and order in the church. Last week, we looked at how God uses spiritual gifts in the church to manifest Jesus both to the church and the world. The spiritual gifts exist to manifest the Spirit in a verifiable way. Well, this week we're going to continue as we approach verse 12 in chapter 12. We're going to continue by looking at the church as a body of Christ. So I'll go ahead and read our passage for us this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would please bless the reading of your holy word, that you would bless its proclamation. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts in a way that only you can do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our passage this morning, starting in verses 12 and 13, Paul starts by stating very clearly, what is the church? The ample is the answer is simple yet profound. The church is the body of Christ. This is the analogy that Paul chooses to explain and describe how the church ought to function. And he's going to build on this analogy, but it's important for us to know that this isn't just an analogy. There's also something very true about calling the church the body of Christ. Part of what this means, and it's actually our first point today, the church is an extension of Jesus into the world. The church is an extension of Jesus into the world. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for all that those who live might not excuse me, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. A little bit further down in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So those who have been purchased by Christ no longer live for themselves, but live for him. And the terminology, the, the idea that Paul is emphasizing here in this passage is that of new creation. When we look at the beginning in Genesis, we see that mankind is created in the image of God. We were created to be God's image bearers. Now the fall has muddied and distorted that image, but it's still present. So likewise, in Christ, we are being recreated as Christ's image bearers. So then further down in verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you catch that phrasing? God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. So to be the body of Christ, 
means that the church is an extension of Jesus into the world. The way Paul makes this point is through saying what the church is, the body of Christ, and then describing that reality with that analogy, the analogy of a body. Now before he does so, I want to point out here in verse 13, it says, In one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So it's describing entry into the body of Christ. How does that happen? In one spirit, we are baptized into one body. We are made to drink of one spirit. Now, he's not talking about physical baptism here. He's talking about spiritual baptism. In one spirit, we were all baptized. This is the baptism of the spirit. Whenever we practice baptism in this baptistry back here, this is a visible sign of a spiritual reality that has already taken place before this thing takes place. There's a baptism of the Spirit that we experience at salvation, and then this is our public testimony to the world of what has happened. We have died with Christ, and we have been raised to walk in newness of life. There are many strange teachings regarding the baptism of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit. When you are saved, you receive all of the Spirit you are ever going to get or need. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You are not indwelt by half of the Holy Spirit of God or a third of the Holy Spirit of God. You are indwelt by the entire Holy Spirit of God. There is no partial filling or second filling. There is simply being born again. We see this here. Entry into the body occurs through the baptism of the Spirit for every believer. It says we were all baptized. So now we enter into this analogy, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, here's Paul's major point. Though the church is one body, that doesn't mean that each individual member is the one body. It means that the collective whole is the one body. It is one body of many members. Out of many, one. And these many members are not all the same. They're different. Well, this presents a problem for us because we're sinful people. You get a whole bunch of different people into one place, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to mess it up real quick. <laughs> That's what we do. It is built into our DNA. We compete, and we compare, and we criticize. There's a number of ways that we threaten the unity of the body. Well, here in our passage, Paul gives us two examples using this body analogy, and they're both unhealthy forms of comparison. As we read this, don't forget the context of this passage is a broader discussion on spiritual gifts manifesting the Spirit in the church. Let's pick up together uh, in verse 15 again. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's the first unhealthy comparison in the church. I'm not like them. Let me make it real practical. I I can't sing like she can sing. I can't teach like he can teach. I can't give as much money as them. I'm not as patient as them. You know, if we really want to, we can say I'm not or I can't a whole lot more than we can say I am or I can. We can find a whole number of things that everybody else can do that we just can't do. We begin to think ourselves insignificant. Here's our second point this morning. In the church, ability does not determine significance. Ability does not determine significance. And we shouldn't expect any different. Do you know why? Because this is precisely how it is with our salvation. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. We studied this earlier together in the book. If you haven't seen that, you can go back on the website and rewatch any of these sermons. I'm going to read this passage for us. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We bring nothing to the table in our salvation. Our righteousness is a gift from Jesus. He didn't just die in our place. He lived in our place first. And in the same way, we bring nothing to the table in the church that isn't first given to us by God. If someone else has something or can do something that you don't have or that you can't do, it's only because God has purposed that individual for that task at that specific time for a specific purpose. Just like he has purposed you for a different task. Look at Paul's analogy here. Flipping back to our passage, he says, The foot, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. Let me reword that a little bit for us. The foot says, I'm worthless because I'm not a hand. It's still a part of the body. The ear says, Well, I'm worthless because I'm not an eye. It's still a part of the body. Now, what example does Paul give here as to why those parts of the body might feel insignificant? It's their function, their ability. Look further down. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
Do you catch that? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So the foot looks to the hand and says, well, I can't do what the hand can do. I I can only do what a foot does, and that's nothing compared to the hand. That's an unhealthy comparison. The Bible says that God arranges the members in the body, each one of them, as he chooses. In the church, God is building an intentional community that exists to do his will. And each member of this community plays a certain role in bringing out the full image of Christ. It isn't a single member, but many. But it's still just one body. This is called a community, an intentional community. And in God's community, we ought not to think that we don't belong or are insignificant because of what we can or can't do. So now picking back up in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the second unhealthy comparison here is the opposite of the first. The first is, I'm not like them. The second is, they're not like me. Again, I'm going to make it real practical, but this time with a personal anecdote. I was at a church once, and one of the staff members had made a comment about a family that had been visiting. This was the comment. We need to go after this family. They would be such an asset to the church. The conversation went on, and the picture that was painted was that this family would make a better addition to our church than most other families because of their financial situation. They were financially strong and a good-looking family. It would look good for our church to have them as our members. This comparison is the opposite of the other. This comparison exalts someone because of what they have to offer. Sometimes we even begin to think of ourselves this way. I give money like no one else does or can. I have influence like no one else does. I know people. I can pull strings. I serve more than anyone else does. I'm involved in the most ministries. Or I'm involved in my ministry more completely than other people are involved in their ministries. I understand more than anyone else does. The fruit of this type of thinking is destructive to the unity of the church. First... It trains us to view and evaluate one another based on our merits or abilities. This is actually the exact same fruit that the first unhealthy comparison grows. We essentially begin to objectify people, either ourselves or others, reducing them to just a list of abilities or other assets. Think about our family. Think about how my children might feel. If I say, well, sweetie, I would love you more, but you're just not a great basketball player. 
What I've essentially communicated is your value to me is dependent upon what you can do. But in reality, my family's value to me is just dependent upon the fact that they belong to me. They are my family. It doesn't matter what they can do or not do. Think again about how Jesus views us. Jesus takes us however we are, knowing that we have nothing to offer, and then he gifts us with whatever he wants us to have so that we can do what he wants us to do. Again, we bring nothing to the table. There is no room for boasting in God's church. That's the first fruit. It objectifies people. Second fruit that this produces, unhealthy fruit, it encourages the lie, I'm indispensable. Now, this needs some clarification and fine-tuning because this is sort of paradoxical. The reason that I'm dispensable is a lie is because God does not need you. I'm just going to let that sink in for just a minute. God does not need me, and God does not need you. Listen to God's word here. Psalm 127, 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Psalm 62, verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion in the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now believe it or not, coming to terms to this truth, this reality, that God doesn't need you, will open your eyes to the magnificent love of God for you in Christ Jesus. You are nothing before God. You can't offer Him anything that He needs. You don't deserve anything that He provides. God doesn't need you, but He wants you. Even though you have nothing to offer, He wants you. Why? Because He loves you. So you aren't indispensable because you are nothing, even if you think that you aren't. You may think that you are something or have something to offer, but you aren't indispensable yet. So here's the paradox. At the same time, as part of the body of Christ, you are. You are indispensable. You are just as important as any other member of God's church.
No one can say, we don't need you on the grounds of what they can do and you can't do. And here's the balance between these two examples of unhealthy comparison. So here's what the two unhealthy comparisons in the church teach us. This is our third and final point this morning. In the church, no one is insignificant and no one is indispensable. If you walk away thinking, so you're saying I'm dispensable, you've misunderstood what I'm saying. What I'm saying and what God's word is teaching us this morning is that our value is not based on our abilities, offerings, or any other thing we do. It's simply based on who, or rather whose, we are. If you think the amount of money you tithe, the number of ministries you serve in, the number of years you've been a Christian or a member of a church, or anything else makes you more important or valuable than others, the message is you're dispensable. Now, if you think that you don't really have anything to offer, you don't serve as much as that person or give as much as this one, or you haven't been a member of the church as long or haven't been a Christian as long, the message for you this morning is you're indispensable. We are all just as much a part of the body as anyone else. And God has a plan and a purpose for all of us in the church. This passage is essentially God's way of exalting the humble and humbling the proud in his church. He wants us to realize that none of us is more or less valuable than the other. We all have equal value because we have all been bought for the same price. One perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The same, the same cost has been paid for us than it has for anyone else. And because we all have equal value in the church, we ought to all care for one another equally. We ought not to pay special attention to those who seem to have more because we don't want them to be upset. We need them more than we need others. We ought not to do that. We ought not to hold back our care and concern for those that seem to have nothing to offer. We ought not to objectify one another in that way. And Paul mentions this essentially in his passage. The whole purpose of this is that there may, in verse 25, be no division in the body, but that the members might have the same care for one another, regardless of what part of the body you are or what function you play. We have the same care for one another. One member suffers, so all suffer together with that member. One member rejoices, so all members rejoice together with that one member. Though we are many members, we are one body. We are an intentional community of believers. So now finishing up our passage, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church, and he gives this list here of different offices, roles, and gifts. This serves as a bookend to our passage this morning. If you back up to verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually, keep that word in mind, as he wills. Then in verse 12, 
just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Well, then we get to verse 27. Individual Christians compose the body of Christ. Each individual Christian is gifted differently by God. Now, some of these are gifts. Some of these are roles. We see apostle, prophet, teacher. But then we see these gifts specifically. Miracles, healing, helping, administrating tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Without getting too bogged down in each specific gift or role, Paul's point here is simple. The answer to all of these rhetorical questions is no. All are not apostles. All are not prophets. All are not teachers. All do not exercise gifts of healing or miracles or speak in tongues or interpret tongues. God chooses who will be gifted with what and for what purpose. Our job is to use our gift and then to desire greater gifts so that they can be used for God's glory, Lord willing. I want to end our time reflecting on this final phrase here in verse 31. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is an instruction. We are expected to obey what we read here. It's intended to be followed. We are instructed to desire greater spiritual gifts. Not only that, to earnestly desire. That is to genuinely want. It is a heart issue. But the problem is I can't make my I can't will myself to desire something. I try all the time. For instance, I would really love to be able to will my heart to just love broccoli. I can't. I don't desire it. I don't like it. I still eat it. I make myself eat it. But no matter how many times I do that, I don't have a desire for it. In the same way, we cannot will our hearts to desire something. God's work is changing the heart. So for some of us this morning, we just need to recognize that we ought to desire to serve the church through the gifts God has given us. And when we don't have that desire, that communicates to us that something is amiss. Something is amiss. Our response this morning to that ought to be falling before the Lord in prayer and saying, God, I don't have this desire for greater gifts to be used for your church. But I know that you want me to have that desire. So would you so work in my heart and change it that I might have a genuine yearning to serve your church? Whether it has to do with building up and strengthening the church or going out and sharing the gospel and bringing people in and helping to expand the church or serving in fringe ministries to our community to try to reach out with the love of Christ in practical ways. We ought to have a desire for the mission of the church. Why? Because we are the church. We are members of the one body. All Christians should strive to have a greater desire to serve the church. The spiritual gifts don't exist for selfish purposes. And when a spiritual gift is exercised in that way, it is being exercised in an unbiblical way. It is for the good of the church. We are to desire to be used for that purpose. We all have a gift. We all have at least one. 
I would argue we all have more than one, but we all have at least one. So that's the purpose for each one of us as the collective body of Christ. We are many, but we are one body with one purpose. Image Christ. So church, may we magnify and represent Jesus in the world as one body of Christ, made up of many equally valuable and uniquely gifted believers. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are faithful to your word, that your word is true, that it is right, just, and good. Lord, your word pierces us, but we acknowledge that that is pleasing, Lord, that it is good for it to do so, that we might continue to be remade into your image and also into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have purchased us by your blood, that you have made salvation available to all who will turn and trust you in faith and repent. Lord, this morning or this evening, whatever time anyone anywhere is watching this, Lord, if you are so working in their heart to reveal to them that they do not yet belong to the body, I pray that you would make them sensitive to your work in their hearts right now. That you would connect them with the church somewhere, somehow. That they might be able to be faithful and obedient to you as members of the body. Lord, for the rest of us, give us a greater desire to serve the church as an intentional community of believers equipped by you for your purposes. Remove our pride that causes us to think more highly of ourselves or to think of ourselves as being indispensable. Lord, remove our self-loathing where we begin to think that we are worthless and insignificant in the church and that we have nothing to offer, therefore we are not as valuable as other church members. Lord, continue to remind us of our equal value in Christ. Use us for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in uh, to this video. Again, sorry we had to re-record, but I guess it's just part of the Lord's purposes. So I uh, hope this has been helpful and beneficial to you. Please enjoy uh, the other sermons uploaded onto the website. Um, hopefully most of them not re-recorded. And uh, if you're ever in the area, we'd invite you to come and visit our church. We'd love to have you and worship with you. Thank you very much. God bless.